Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. And we've never done this before, where we've done the Monday afternoon mix at the top of the hour. And uh, that's what we're doing today. So we're not coming in with our usual smooth jazz, are we? It felt a little weird, too. I couldn't agree more. I was like, almost like we got to reset things. Should we play it again? (laughs) Yeah. Should we play Eugene Groove? Maybe maybe we'll put a little groove on there. I think we'll put a little groove on there. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. A little grooving? Yeah, a little grooving. All right. Grooving. Why isn't it? Oh, no, that's cruising. (laughs) There we go. Okay, there. That feels way better. It does. Now it's time for the Monday afternoon mix, 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 mix. There we go. It's mix time. Yeah, it is. It is mix let's time. mix it up. I know. Yeah, yeah. Team, nice to be together. I'm thinking of looking looking at Isaiah 55 today. Hmm, it's a good one. It's a good passage, and I, yeah. I think it's a it's a really you know helpful reminder. Um, of God's compassion, because sometimes, like when things are going on, we can easily forget. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if anyone's ever had this happen that you know you're you're working on something and you have a hammer in one hand and a nail in the other, and you start tapping, and then like you just briefly look away and bam, right? You know, and it's like the same moment and everything, but what you see because of pain um, greatly changes, mm-hmm. and. The reality is that the environment around you hasn't changed, but pain's response causes you to see things differently and even see the world differently. And so um, sometimes to be reminded that water is wet and that gravity does hold us to the ground and, you know, things like that are helpful and that God is faithful so that when the pains and the ups and downs of life come to us, uh, a beautiful thing is that there's such a you know, that this interesting term, ubiquitous, like literally, you know, all around us um, about God's faithfulness. I mean, the very fact that it's 5.06 Central Standard Time, God faithfully is allowing the day to continue. Mm-hmm. And that last second that just faithfully went by and that next second that just went by. And so sometimes we can forget about those things. And so like a passage like, Isaiah 55, written at a time when everything wasn't peachy keen, um, for Isaiah to, the, to remind the people and to remind us of the compassion and the faithfulness of God. Mm. I, I like that, David Miles. You came out swinging today with that. <laughs> I, I love the no, I love the analogy of everything is the same around you, but you just hit your finger with the hammer. So now that you're in pain, things are different for you. And I think that we're we're filled with pain in this world and <laughs> suffering is the norm and how do you navigate suffering and how do you how do you go through life when there's so much pain and injustice in the world and every time you open the newspaper which i don't really do much anymore is you hear about something so tragic and so terrible and so horrifying that it raises the question in people's minds how could god allow this mm, it's so true and i think too when you're in pain emotion has to go somewhere Right? And emotion, whether it's physical pain or spiritual pain 
or mental pain or mental health pain, it does it it goes out and we tend to want it to hit a target. Yeah. I mean we do. And and like we gotta like like keep it real here. Like mm-hmm. the pain is real. Mm-hmm. Like that's like for those I mean like Bill, I'm I'm thinking Rosie's probably, you know, much wiser than us. Because, like, oh, I've smacked my finger with a thumb more than once, you know. But it's like, when you, you know, you don't sit there and say, wow, that pain's not real. Your thumb is like, are you joking me? Like, this that really bad hurts. boy hurts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and then in interesting ways, um, even pain itself is a gift of a reminder that not everything is right. Not everything is okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the pain of this world it reminds us that not everything is right. Not everything is okay. And I think there's a reason why, you know, as God, um, as in, in Revelation 21 and 22 ties up, it, it talks about, and there'll be no more weeping. Mm. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death. And there's literally this restoration that happens. You know, um, we were talking before the beginning of the program and just with our listening family, I remember one time when I was at Trinity and looking at an Old Testament paper and like in in the book of Genesis chapter two, and you have God, uh, he says in Genesis chapter two to, um, to the man, he says, he put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the knowledge, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And I actually wrote a perp- I wrote a, a paper called "Was God Telling the Truth?" And what I ended up connecting it to is, then later on in chapter five of Genesis, um, you get to see one of the first genealogies, and it's on Abraham's descendant to Noah. But there's this really interesting kind of um, format equation that happens. And it says, you know, the days of person were a certain number of years, then they had children, and then all the days that they lived were total, and then it said, and he died. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on to the next person, and it says this, and it just keeps saying, and he died, and he died, and he died. And the reality is, like God was truly serious, that in mm-hmm. the day that you do this, you will die. And what becomes hard is like, God often gives warnings and God often says, like, choose this day life. Like I said before you, life and death, choose that. And sometimes we're just like, yeah. Uh. And then what happens is when we see the reality and the after effects of death, then we're like, we want to question God. Mm-hmm. And sometimes God is like, um, you know, I'm, I'm encouraging you not to make this decision and and that's the comment we say, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to be kept. And it'll cost you so much more than you ever imagined you have to pay. But our mindset is, well, you know, I'm the exception to that. Mm-hmm. And then when it happens, it's like that you're not the exception. That water is wet. You know, gravity is really gravity. And then it happens and because in some ways we disregard God. And then we're like, God, like, why did you let this happen? And God's like, I'm lovingly telling you to choose life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we see the ramification of it. And here's the thing: it hurts. It it stinks. I'm like, my heart hurts. Like, thirty four, thirty six thousand people in mm-hmm. Turkey, um, in Syria, in Syria mm-hmm. have died. I mean, like, and 
you know, just to kind of, um, I, I think one thing that's important for us too is in our very fast paced entertainment culture, it's really easy to hear that and then just turn the page and say, you know, frosted donuts and frosted, frosted flakes. And sometimes God is like, no, stop. Rosie, you said something that sometimes we don't think about, about the heart of God when this is happening. Oh, during break, I did. I said we were um, talking about this a little bit earlier, and I had woken up in the middle of the night a couple nights ago because for whatever reason, I do like to pray and um, probably have an intercessor's heart, and it hasn't left me. Turkey hasn't left me. I've been praying for those two to be found that are in the rubble. And I go to bed each night knowing that I'm going to bed under a down comforter and there there's people alive in the rubble that are still covered in dirt and cement and they will be going home that way. And I woke up in the middle of the night realizing that, oh, the grief on my heart, because God lives inside me, is his grief, that he is grieving for the families that have lost loved ones, for those who are suffering, because we're all connected to him. We are his creation. Mm -hmm. And to know that what woke me up in the middle of the night was the heart of God weeping for those that are suffering. It's not something that we think about very often because we want to put blame someplace, but, you know, the planet is fallen and he is a good God. And he connects us through love and he connects us in our sorrows as well. And that's what makes humans so amazingly different. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I remember um, being in in um, Chicago on 9-11. I was down attending uh, Trinity in Chicago, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And I remember that day, my, my wife working and being in another location and me being a military kid when things started happening, I kept wondering, and what's next? And what's the diversion? And mm-hmm. what's really about to happen? And the like. And, you know, what's interesting is that um, Jesus' words in that, in that moment, and I'm trying to remember the exact passage. I thought it was, I thought it was Mark uh, 13, but it's, it's not. But there's, um, there's a passage where the people come to Jesus, and they're like, you know, don't you know that Herod mixed the blood of the Galileans with his sacrifices and killing him? And, you know, you're thinking this response is going to be a certain way. And Jesus is like, yeah, such will be the case, but, but have you repented? Mm-hmm. And it's like, even, even in this moment today, I mean, like, this is really hard, hard news to hear. Um, but even as you're listening and you're at home right now, or as you're driving, the question in this moment is, where do you stand with Christ? I mean, in what ways has God been knocking on your heart and saying, Jim, Karen, Sally, Juan, Theodore, Chris, Christine? In what ways has he been saying, like, listen, I, I, I desire to know you. And it's kind of like, yeah, you know what, tomorrow, you know, like, I love this one guy who used to be with Campus Crusade. His name was Dan Hayes, and uh, he wrote a book called Fire Seeds of Revival. And I remember being at a crew camp a conference in 1993, and he talks about coming to faith in Christ. And this one guy came to him on a Friday night and said, Dan, can you think of any reason not to give your life to Christ? And he's like, uh, I can think of a bunch of reasons living an hour outside of Chicago on a Friday night. And then he said, but none of them are really good reasons. And he says how God changed his life. And so 
we can respond. And, and our hearts, like you said, Rosie, how God's heart goes out to the people of, of Turkey. And our hearts ought to go out as well as image bearers that God made who have passed away. And yet, even as you go home and make a meal, you're going to be thinking about yourself. So in thinking about yourself, where do you stand today, this February 13th with Jesus? Strong thought. I love it. That's what I like to do here every day at, at the show is ask those kinds of questions. And I know there's people that have tuned in today that are now reeling in their mind because they don't know quite where they stand. And today can be the day where your eternity changes, where you can go from being dead in your sins to alive in Christ. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we'll continue that discussion. So please don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Monday afternoon mix a little bit later than usual with Pastor David Miles and Rosie B. Listen to Faith Radio Live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app in your app store today. That's a familiar sound to the Monday afternoon mix. We're usually on at a different time on Monday, but here we are today. Pastor David Miles and Rosie B. We're in Isaiah 55, and there's gold in this chapter. David, where should we pick it up, Rosie? Well, I think, you know, picking it up in Isaiah 55, you know, the Lord says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. And, you know, Isaiah's writing during a period of time over many different kings, including Isaiah. And one of the main messages of his letter, his book, is calling the people back to a special relationship with God and noting that although judgment through other nations was inevitable because they're going through the exile and things like that have happened within the nation, um, the significance of this book is that sometimes we suffer judgment, we have discipline, we go through really hard things before we're restored to God. And sometimes it's, it is very difficult and hard, painful moments. I remember when I pastored in Ohio, and one of the things I loved doing, you guys, was going and doing home visits and meeting with people and sitting down with them. And it's really interesting. One of the things I noted was the number of people and some just amazing of our leaders and people, uh, how they came to faith in Christ and even turning their lives over to the Lord wasn't always through sunshine and rainbows. Mm-mm. It was actually through some really, really difficult, hard things. I mm-hmm. mean, one beautiful woman, Miss Virginia Moore, I remember she was an older lady and she was telling me about, you know, Pastor, I was kind of a religious person. And one of the things in Xenia, Ohio, that's well known is the 1973 um, um, F3 tornado that hit the city. Well, Miss Virginia was sitting at home one day and, she, you know, she hears these sirens. And then she said, I heard what was like the sound of a train coming and she went into her closet, and as this tornado directly hit her house, 
She said, as it hit the house, the closet that she was in lighted up brightly. Everything went absolutely quiet and peaceful. Mm. And then the next thing she knew is that someone had saw her foot sticking out of the rubble and thought that she was dead and pulled it off and she was alive. And she, in her little sweet way, said to me, well, Pastor, I have to tell you, I went from just kind of knowing things about Jesus to believing him. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, Miss Virginia. Like, yeah. You know, but sometimes the difficulties of the things that we go through, and even today as we're sitting here, guys, and like reeling over some of the death and things like that, we have this hope in Jesus. But our hope in Jesus is because, as verse 3 says, God made a covenant, an everlasting covenant of steadfast love towards the people of Israel through his faithful covenant through David. And again, this is to the, the Jewish nation, mm-hmm. of which us today, we's are Gentiles. So like when he says, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant, and then later in the book it even talks about how he would call the nations, that's us. So even today as we're looking at things happening, I keep finding myself resting in a faith that's only possible because of what Jesus did. So then when you get down to verse 8, my thoughts are not your thought, neither are my, your ways my ways. For as high as the heavens are the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts are yours. Well, one of the absolutely wild things in the book of Isaiah is Isaiah 53 that talks about the Messiah. And in verse 8, it makes this point of saying, and it pleased the Father to crush the Son. Mm. You know, and so to literally crush Jesus, and it's one thing when something happens to sinful man and fallen humanity— but for the perfect Son of God, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who had never experienced death, to experience death on our behalf. And it says, but it, it was the will of the Lord, it pleased the Lord to crush him and put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Like, we're alive today. We actually have a salvation in Christ because God allowed his Son to suffer, to end death's reign. So that even horrible things like an earthquake, that the death of that, because of what Christ did on the cross, it doesn't get the final say. It doesn't get the final say. Because God looks at it, and as Paul wrote at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Mm-hmm. Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of sin is death. But the power of life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's that thing that brings us back to resting in him when the world seems upside down. And when things are literally feels your life is thrown into a washing machine and just put through a spin and rinse cycle and dumped on the side of the road. David, you did mention before the break about the importance of having a relationship with Christ. And I love in verse 6, of Isaiah 55, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Mm. Call on him while he is near. Maybe today is the moment where he is near because you've tuned into this radio station you don't even know what it is and or you don't know who this guy is who's talking, but somehow you're, you've arrived and you think, call on the name of the Lord because he's near. I think he's speaking to me. What would be your next step, David? Well, you know, I would say if the Lord is speaking to your heart today, um, first of all, acknowledge that. Like, acknowledge that there's a God who loves you and wants you to know him. And you don't need me to tell you that not everything is okay in life. 
and even okay in your life. And so the Bible, the Lord says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that word confess just means to agree with God. And so like in our heart of hearts, when we're not trying to impress other people and stuff, like we know the things that don't add up. We know the things that we've done wrong. But God is saying, like, acknowledge your need for me. Then confess your sin and say, God, you know what? I've blown it. Like, I really have tried to just do this whole thing on my own. Sometimes I've kind of, you know, told you to go somewhere. And sometimes I've honestly, you know, only wanted enough faith to use you to get me out of trouble, but didn't realize you want a relationship with me. And then believe that Jesus died for your sin, not for someone else's sin, but that he died for your sin. And that he truly wants you to turn over the steering wheel as we talk with our kids, giving the steering wheel of your life over to the Lord and allowing him to direct it. And then just this day, today, turn towards the Lord and just say, here I am Mm. and follow him today. You know, um, else I am thinking that just hit my heart is that perhaps if you are listening and you have turned your life over and you are repentant before the Lord, but I will guarantee that you know people who are not. And Ezekiel tells that we can stand in the gap for those and pray for the loving kindness, according to Romans 2, 4, for those of people in your life that don't know the Lord, you can pray for his loving kindness to wash over them and lead them into repentance. That's the job of being in body for others. You might not have a chance to bring the gospel to them, but you can pray that people would intersect their life that would help them submit to the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I mean, like, being available and just an invitation. I mean, like, the the passage opens up with, come everyone who's thirsty, come by and eat. Invite someone over for a meal Mm, or go to lunch with them. I mean, like, I was talking with Tammy about this the other day and, and some kids, and I was saying, guys, like, I'm here. Like, you just heard my voice because of this. Actually, my son DJ had emailed me to ask me about a guy named Lance Porter, my locker mate, who after my failed suicide attempt, this is what Lance said to me. And take out your timer, okay? It's uh, 47 seconds. Hey, Dave, what are you doing this Thursday? I don't know. Hey, you want to come with me to this thing called Student Venture? Sure. Look at that. That was eight seconds. Eight seconds, not from an adult, from a sophomore kid, changed my life, and that's the only reason why you're talking to me today. And so, like, it's you don't have to feel like you have to be some big theologian, expert person, and come with this big. No, just opening your heart and and opening your life to other people is huge. Mm. Beautiful, as always, David, Rosie. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. So, so much fun. Good. Yeah, it's the Monday afternoon mix with Pastor David Miles and Rosie B. And if you uh, missed any of this conversation, we talked about Isaiah chapter 55. And boy, is there some wonderful things in that chapter. We're going to take a little break and come back, and we're going to discuss some Greek. Pastor Chris Palmer. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. 
What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I have so enjoyed when I study my Bible in the last several years, having it open where I can see what the Greek word is and some of the original Hebrew words, and it is just such a wonderful way to study. And I feel like it gives me um, an opportunity to to understand God's word more richly. And so whenever I get an opportunity to learn some Greek, I always get excited. And uh, the Reverend Chris Palmer is joining us today. He's the founder and pastor of Light of Today Church in Novi, Michigan. He's also the host of the popular podcast, Greek for the Week. You'll find that on several internet platforms. He's written a number of books, but today we're going to, again, talk some Greek with our favorite Greek teaching pastor, Chris Palmer. Hello, Chris. Hey, Bill. Good to be with you again, man. Thank you. It's been a little bit of a, a break since the last time you were on, so it was nice to hear your voice. Yeah, first time I've talked to you guys, I think, since before Christmas. So here wow. we are. Wow. Uh, yeah, awesome. So I'm always looking forward to fi- figuring out, finding out what we're going to learn about. Yeah, so today I think we are going to start in the book of 1 Corinthians. That's okay, okay. Paul's Love it. first letter to the Corinthians. And um, are you familiar with the idea of personification, where you take something that is not alive and you talk about it like it's alive in order to bring that thing full force and maybe describe it. For instance, saying the sea is angry, the sun's rays gave me a hug, um, you know, something of that nature. Sure. Uh, and Okay. Okay, good, good. Most people may, but I don't know if they know it by, by that terminology. And this is this this happens a lot of times in scripture. Now I may have mentioned this on this. I can't remember. We've been doing this so long. I've, I've talked about this, but if we have, we have some people maybe for the first time that are hearing this. Um, but the apostle Paul does this in a very interesting place in First Corinthians fifteen ten. When he's talking about the grace of God, he says in the tenth verse of chapter fifteen, and he says, "It's by the grace of God I am what I am." His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What the Apostle Paul does here is he's he's talking to his church who is under the influence. Let's just say they have some bad influences that are coming their way. They don't like Paul. They think that he's just a crook. They have a negative view of him, and they're poisoning the Corinthian church. And so Paul's trying to explain to them why he is um, his credentials per se, and he gets he gets this place, and he at the end of his argument he blames the grace of God. He says it's by grace that I'm able to do anything that I'm doing. And first thing that he says is he uses a preposition, and the preposition that he uses here he says the grace of God is is toward me. And this is a preposition, ace. So you'd say it would be like an e, an i, and an s. So ace. Um, and this means to, to move towards something, to come at something, mm-hmm. um, directionally. So it, it shows grace sort of like, I always describe it. Maybe this is rather crudely, but Paul's alone. He needs a co-laborer. He needs a partner in crime, if you will. And grace finds the apostle Paul and joins up with him. So if he's Batman, this is his Robin. If he is Starsky, this is his Hutch. If he's peanut butter, this is his jelly. Now he has something that is co-laboring alongside him. Well, then 
Paul goes on and he says, I worked harder than any of them. So now Paul's talking about his labor with this grace that has, that has come along and, and joined up with him. And then he says, but it's not I, but it's the grace of God that's with me. Now he shifts, he shifts prepositions here. Now he says soon. So now it's the grace of God that is with him. So that word with means to it, you, you've joined something together. It is, mm-hmm. it is with you. It is alongside of you. It's been with you. So these prepositions here really paint the picture for us that in Paul's life, he was never alone. Even though the narrative that Acts shows Paul, and there's many times where he's by himself. I mean, there he is, okay, off the road of Tarras, and he's being beaten. There he is in the Sea of near Malta. He's shipwrecked. There he is in Philippi. He's in the prison. He's jailed. I mean, there's countless times where you think loneliness in and of itself could have done Paul in. What he's trying to tell you is that Grace was like a partner with him. It was like a, a co-worker working beside him. And I think that the really maybe the application can draw here without going too far is to say that there may be times in our life where we can sense the tangible grace of God working in us to accomplish things that we in ourselves aren't able to do. I mean, I look back on my life at times and say, you know, how was I able to, to make it through that or get through that? And I think when we're, we're joined up with God, His grace is abundant in our lives. And Paul's putting that into the remembrance of the Corinthians. And I think that he gives us something to reach for in this verse. Mm, I love that. I'm thinking of a pastor I had on the program, and I'm not going to remember his last name, Chris. His first name was Bill, and he talked about grace, and he said, you know, if you break it, grace fixes it. If you lose it, grace finds it. If you spoil it, grace restores it. When you're dirty, grace cleans you. When you're down Uh low, grace picks you up. When you're hurt, grace comforts. And it just is just a reminder that grace is always there for you. And that's, I think, to your point, why Paul, although being shipwrecked, shipwrecked and and starving and in prison and beaten, he did not feel alone. Yeah, and I think that uh, that pastor has it absolutely correct. Is that, I mean, in, in one sense of the matter, there's something that we it, we have our own working, but there's a point where God's grace is, is evident and it takes over. And, you know, if you're listening and you're, you're listening to this broadcast tonight, grace is something that we can rely on. I think that prayer puts us into a state of mind where we are we become conscious of the fact that we ask God for His grace. I mean, there's things that we supplicate for and we ask God for, but even in prayer, we become reminded that it's really not us and it's not in our, our striving, but we can trust in the Lord. And it's... um. It's what carried Paul in his ministry. And we language that maybe if you're more charismatic or Pentecostal, you might say that's the anointing of God. Or maybe, um, you know, if you're more sacramental, <clears throat> you, you may have different ways of, of explaining this. But needless to say, the scripture is telling us that there is um, the evidence of God's grace in our lives. So it's very important. Mm. Yeah. Reverend Chris Palmer is my guest. So, Chris, I mean, regardless of whatever situation you are facing, it seems that God will, in a way, adapt his grace to meet your need. And his grace is, is abundant and will never run out. Yeah, you know, when Paul says that his grace is sufficient, I mean, he's using, um, he's using a, 
he's using terms here that is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a accountant. He says God's grace is sufficient. This word here is sufficient. It's referring to Paul's counted. He's looked at the left side of the ledger. Justified? The right side of, yeah. Uh, sufficient. Yeah, he's looked. At, his grace is sufficient. He's okay. looked at the left side of the ledger. He's looked at the right side of the ledger, and he sees that the problems and the issues that he has or the, the challenges or circumstances that he's facing okay, adds up or the grace of God is enough on the right side to meet that need. It, it all equals out because, in other words, God's grace has provided to us in abundance all that we need to meet the difficulties and the challenges that we face. His grace is sufficient. Mm-hmm. And Chris, when we are right now discussing in 1 Corinthians 15, and we, we go down to this verse that you were referencing where he says, no, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, and of course with me, as you're prompting my Greek to be a little bit better, is is it sin ego, which means, is that a synergy, was working yeah. with me? Yeah, I mean, it was, I think that's kind of where we get the word, absolutely. I mean, it's an ergeo, would be sin is with, and then an ergeo means um, enablement or the, the ability. So, yeah, that's where we would get the word synergy, but he's... It's talking about an, this this overwhelming power, this ability. Mm-hmm. This ability is not coming from him. This ability is is coming from God, and um, you know he knows that his church is is in need of that because of the challenges that they face, and he knows that he, he he's certainly seen evidence of that in his own life. So he's writing about it and, and testifying to it. Yeah. So, Chris, any more encouragement for someone who is clearly in a in a bind today, and maybe they just received news today that is uh, overwhelming them and they're wondering where's God's grace in all this how am I going to navigate my way through it you had mentioned earlier that you wondered the same thing at various times in your life maybe you could talk us uh, through some of that yeah I think that you know the the rational there's we have to divide the difference between a rational attempt at explaining perhaps our circumstances and our situations I mean there's not always a rational answer for us or at least one that's satisfying or one that completely makes sense to us. Being a pastor for as many years as I've been, uh, it, it always seems that there's, well, you know, we want something rational. But Paul tells us that God gives us a peace that surpasses our understanding, which to me um, tells us the part I want to focus on here is that surpasses understanding or super or goes above the understanding is that um, – while it's good to be rational and it's good to try to make sense of things, the journey that we're on in God, there's not always going to, it's not always going to be afforded to us. And I say that with as much compassion as I possibly can and as much, as much empathy as I can for an individual listening tonight, um, is that the, the rational is not always there. But what the, the scripture is promising is that even if the rational explanation isn't there, if it all doesn't add up in that way, we can still expect to experience the grace of God, however that comes, whether it be peace or comfort or um, just the sensation of knowing that everything is, that God is at work in our circumstances. I mean, there are countless testimonies of believers who have been through the most difficult, uh, challenging, and worst circumstances of life. But they would say is, uh, for instance, I think of uh, one of my friends from Kansas 
who lost her father to a sudden heart attack. And, you know, I, I have not lost a parent in my life, so I wouldn't know where to begin with this. And I had asked them, this person was close to their father, how, what was this like? And, of course, you know, they expressed this sort of do, um, anxiousness or, uh, of grief that would come from this. But to that grief, they said, I don't know how to explain it, but I have a knowing I've been knowing that I'm going to see them again. I have an assurance and it's well with me. And I don't know how to rationalize that, but I know it's well with me. And I think that is available to us. It, it doesn't diminish the grief or the suffering that we're experiencing in the moment. It doesn't make the circumstance and the situation go away. But there is something I think that is otherworldly that comes from God. And we owe that in most part to to God's grace that's at work in our lives. So I'd say hope for the best and expect that uh, maybe aim higher than a rational explanation and Mm. aim for the work of the Spirit to be demonstrated in your life, whether you're you're given that or not. We can't fight worldly problems with worldly weapons, can we? Absolutely not, no. Paul reminds us that in in Ephesians chapter 6 and um, you know, so I think we, we keep our mind and our hearts on, on what's above. Yeah. My guest is the Reverend Chris Palmer. He's the founder and pastor of Light of Today Church in Novi, Michigan. We're going to continue talking a little Greek with uh, Chris. He's the host of the very popular podcast, Greek for the Week, and you can find that on any one of the internet platforms. He's also written a number of books, and uh, if you can just Google Chris Palmer author, you can find any of his books He's written a bunch of them. They include books such as Living as a Spirit, Hearing the Voice of God on Purpose, The 85 Questions You Ask When You are be- when you Begin a Relationship with God, The Believer's Journey, and many more. We'll take a break. Be right back with Chris. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. My guest, Reverend Chris Palmer, helps God's Word come alive from the Greek in a kind of a unique way. He's got a very accessible approach to learning some Greek, and I love learning Greek, and it doesn't always stick, Chris. Uh, sometimes I think, what's that Greek word again? But it's always good to go back and, and uh, learn it over and over and over. I'm sure that's the way you learned it, isn't it? Yeah, it's the way I learned it. And I think that if we're the, the whole technical aspect of Greek is pretty unimportant for for those that aren't working with the mechanics of the language i, I don't i think maybe it's just uh we, we, in other words we can learn a lot about what the original language is trying to tell us without making bones over how to pronounce or you know the the uh, pedantic aspects of greek there's a lot available to us and uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of great resources that that sort of lead us that way and so um yeah so i think the most important part is just the just so you know what it means, and we can leave the technical stuff to the experts, I suppose, right? Yeah, right. Well, let's learn some more Greek. We've got another 10 minutes. 
What else? Yeah. So I yeah. So I always like to start with words. Um, you know, when I do workshops, I make talk a little bit about syntax. But since you know, we have ten minutes, we can talk about another word. I think that is pretty interesting, and that's a common word that we all know, we all have heard about, and that's the word temptation. And uh, Luke eleven four, Jesus tells the disciples that uh, when when, he, when we, he's teaching the Lord's prayer that to pray lead us not into temptation. Uh, we see that in different aspects where we see the Lord's Prayer. Now, the word temptation in the Greek is parasmon, or parasmos. Uh, it depends on whatever the form of the word might be. But it refers to, in antiquity, uh, an extensive test that tries the nature or character of someone or something. So it's a test that's going to determine to us what this thing is made out of. And so... If you look in historical documents where between 4th century BC up until the 1st century AD, it wouldn't be uncommon or incorrect to say that this would be referring to a medical experiment, that through such an examination, the nature of something would actually, would actually come to light. So I think it's not too much of a stretch here to say what Jesus is, is referring to here is that when you come under a temptation, you're coming under a test or an examination. That's what it's going to do. It's going to reveal what's inside of us. Now, this word is in Scripture used in a negative sense. So the reason why the Lord is—so I, I know I, I realize that a medical examination could be a positive sense, especially if what's in that thing is— um, something good, but this word adds more of a nuance to it in the New Testament because the temptations that come aren't necessarily like neutral medical examinations, but rather they are malignant. These are seductions, they're persecutions, and they're tribulations that characterize the age that we're living in. Um, and James is clear that these sorts of tests that are going to really try to bring out the worst of us, okay, they come from the devil. They come from the fallen social order that we live in. And yet, at times, they even come from our own fleshly desires. And so they could bring out the best in us. That's if we're given to God in a situation where we're given over to the Spirit. But they also could bring out the worst in us. And that's, that's why God tells us that in the midst of these, we're to ask God for his help okay and so i don't know if, you, if you've ever been in the midst of a of a temptation uh you know it's really a time to start praying and our temptations aren't always things right that come along for just 10 seconds or 10 minutes or 30 minutes i mean temptation can be something that is ongoing it could be something that's prolonged it could be something that lasts five days, five weeks, five months, even five years. But the way that Jesus teaches us about temptation is not that it wouldn't exist, because this life's going to be a constant temptation to us, but to have that position of surrender to God in prayer. Because one thing Jesus is acknowledging by telling us to bring this temptation to the Lord is to let us know that we don't have the strength in and of ourselves to overcome these sorts of tests or these persecutions or these seductions. So he calls us to a life of prayer. And just about every time I minister or talk about temptations, and I ask 
those who are present to reflect on temptations they've they've succumbed to, the greater bulk of people will admit that those are times where they weren't in prayer. They didn't take those temptations to prayer. Um, and that tells me and that, that Jesus is correct in saying that prayer is really what brings us through temptation um, successfully and on the other side. Chris, I work with a lot of men in recovery from addiction, and uh, when it comes to temptation, uh, there's a, a lovely uh, acronym called HALT, which is a lot of times temptation uh, is you cave in when you are uh, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And it's a, it's a quick diagnostic if you're in a situation and you feel like that you feel really tempted is to just ask yourself the HALT question, am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Because you can very easily uh, fall into temptation in that situation. Yeah, I think that is absolutely, that's absolutely correct. And those are, if you look at those, it it seems pretty simple, right? I mean, it seems almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs in a sense yeah. that when our when our basic needs aren't being met, then we're, we give in to perhaps our our carnal, we're at our weakest. But those, right, were sort of what Jesus found himself in, right? He's tempted when he's fasting by the devil, right, when he's hungry. Mm-hmm. He is, he's in the desert and he's all alone. There's times where he spent time ministering to the multitudes and he goes away. Uh, he's tired and he takes time to rest and constantly scripture is telling us to, to observe the Sabbath. And of course we find warnings in scripture about what to do with our anger. And that tells me that this whole acronym, which I think is great, presents things or areas that the enemy, which are perfectly natural, which are perfectly part of the human experience, but they're things that Satan will take advantage of and he will manipulate um, as as he is, because he doesn't play fair, right? No. To, <laughs> you know, it, it, he doesn't play fair, and these are things that he will manipulate to bring out, to bring out the worst of them. So yeah, there are things that he feeds on. He feeds on isolation. He feeds on uh, uncontrolled emotion or, or visceral emotion. He feeds on lack of appetite and you know our fatigue. So we owe ourselves, we owe it to ourselves to take the necessary precautions that we can in our, in our life for these things. But I also don't think these things are just completely natural. I think sleep and rest and controlling our emotions and and feeding ourselves. I think these are spiritual things. And I mm-hmm. think that they're things that we should surround in prayer. You know, things that we should be kind to ourselves. And by that, I mean, be, be good stewards of our own selves and, and give ourselves to prayer. And that, that, so looking at this as a spiritual thing, um, because by, by protecting the areas of our life, we keep the enemy out and, um, we, really set ourselves up for success and not for failure. Mm-hmm. And when, Chris, you, when I think of uh, Hebrews 4, 15, that Jesus was tempted in every way, but yet without sin, I, I think of him going out to spend time in prayer with his father, and I wondered at times if that's some of that prayer time was spent battling some of his temptations that he experienced in this life, because apparently he experienced uh, all of them. 
Yeah, I think I think Christ's temptations come from. I think he was tempted in the way that Adam was tempted. We're in, we have a sinful flesh. Mm-hmm. Maybe we've given into sin. Jesus right. came and hadn't. So the temptations that Jesus was facing were coming directly from Satan. They were coming directly from the. I mean, it's pretty clear in in Matthew chapter four when it talks about Satan that the definite article is used. So it's the Satan. We know he's the enemy of mankind, and I would say that this is a very extreme, a very. I mean, it is this. We're talking the same level that Adam himself, the federal representative of mankind, is undergoing. Um, and the way that Jesus battles this, the way that Jesus is through prayer. Yeah. And that and that that sets a pattern for us to understand that if we who are sinful flesh, in that sense, unlike Christ, okay, are are. And Jesus, who is came having not sinned, uses prayer. Mm-hmm. How much more do we need to actually depend on prayer when we kind of have twice the uh, twice the ability to stand? I would yeah. say, in a sense. And on that note, Chris. On that yeah. note, we'll wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much for being on the program. Great to talk to you. Yeah. Hey, thank, bless you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Reverend okay. Chris Palmer has been my guest. And that's our show for the day. Thank you for spending time with me. If you missed any of it, head to MyFaithRadio.com. Check out the podcast. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.